Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Handcut Radio. I'm your host, Alex Svetkovic. Thanks again for joining us on our quest to understand why menswear matters. This week's conversation is a relaxed chat with an individual who's intrigued me for a good long while, menswear designer and consultant Luke Walker, who's also the founder of L.E.J., a new style brand which focuses on the intersection of luxury and utility. As you'll hear, Luke's a thoroughly put-together guy with fascinating experience working as a designer for high fashion brands in Paris and London, as well as freelance work with a wealth of superb brands ranging from Paul Smith to Drake's. We talk about his early years at Lanvin and Dunhill, the motivation behind launching L.E.J., his fascination for the functionality of clothing, and why feeling comfortable is more important to him than looking pristine. I'd not spent much time chatting with Luke before, but I thoroughly enjoyed our sit-down together. And yes, I can confirm he's every bit as sophisticated in the flesh as he sounds. Hope you enjoy. Here we go. Anyway, I'm going to hold my hands up this week uh, because this has been a bit of an experiment, uh, or it's going to be a bit of an experiment for the podcast. Normally when we have a lovely guest on, I go away, do quite a lot of research, come up with a list of 15, 20 questions that I can bounce around the room. However, when we bumped into each other in the street a few weeks ago and mm. I thought, here's a man I should be talking to, mm-hmm. you were so unfazed and uninterested about the prospect of being sent questions, I thought, sod it, I'm not going to bother. <laughs> <laughs> we're just, here's a man Maybe who is too busy. <laughs> so um, we're just going to have a bit of a chat and see what happens. Yeah, let's do it. I'm intrigued. Um, why, where shall we start? I mean, why don't we start with a little bit of context? Mm. You are a, a, a freelance menswear designer. Yeah. You have not always been so. You've been in-house in various places. Yeah. Uh, and gained a wealth of experience. And Some you, might say. <laughs> and you also have your own brand, which we're going to come on to. Because I'm fascinated yeah. to hear more. But why yeah, don't we yeah, yeah. start with a little bit of background? Talk to me about your, your design work. My design work, gosh, well, um, now, if I work backwards, now what I do is, um, you're very, I'm a, I'm a menswear designer, that is my training, that's my background, um, but I, and I have experimented with dabbling in other areas within the, the same context, so a bit of styling, a bit of creative direction, a bit, sure. of, bit, of, bit of that stuff. So, so at the moment, I work as a menswear consultant offering both um, design services as well as uh, uh, creative consultancy in terms of direction, brand direction, mood, imagery, that kind of thing. So um, it's it, as well as doing my own brand. So that's kind of quite broad. And that all comes from from my background, which I, which is all in education. Like ev- everything I've done is a bit of an education, bit of a cheesy thing to say. No, no. But, 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 it, but it's true. Um, so I guess, I mean, oh gosh, where to start? I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to hear about the Dunhill years. The Dunhill years. So the Dunhill years, gosh, they were, they were intriguing. So the Dunhill years. So <laughs> I, um, it's quite a funny story, kind of a funny story. I'll let you decide if it's a funny story. <laughs> so, um, I came back to London from Paris in 2011. Mm. Um, I'd been in Paris for six or seven years working with Lanvin over there, um, which was very, very fashion at the time. They, they'd, um, they sway between the two, don't they? They, they do, and they'd relaunched. Albert Elbaz had gone there, and I think it was two thousand and four or something like that. 
um, the same year that I started at St. Martin's. And he did a couple of years in women's wear. It was getting really great reviews. Sorry, this isn't about... No, no, this is great. Like, this is, <laughs> no, go for it. Um, fa- fantastic reviews. And then um, they decided to relaunch the men's wear as well. So at the time, Lanvin, which is 200 yards from the Elysia Palace, um, it had an amazing um, bespoke shirt room on the top floor above the shop on the Rue Saint-Honoré. Um, so they're opposite Hermes, um, on the men's on one corner, the, the women's on another. Amazing location. So they had this incredible atelier, um, both, both suits and shirts. Mm-hmm. So the shirt one, I think, was more spectacular because I think it's more rare to see that these days. Yeah, um, It's not there anymore. Um, but all to say, it was very classic and they were dressing the politicians and... And yeah, and it was sort of a power brand. It was a power brand, and almost every suit that you saw hanging in the in the workshop had the Légion d'honneur little red um, thread on the lapel, and you know it was very very classic. So Albert came in <laughs> with all of his incredible training. He worked with Yves Saint Laurent and 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 really developed this incredibly luxurious taste level. Well, developed it or had it from birth. Who yeah, knows? yeah. I mean, he's an amazing character, um, and so he did the women's, and then tackled the men's, brought on Lucas Hossum Driver. Um, and that was when I was in my second year at St. Martin's, and Lucas came over to launch the men's collection at Dover Street, um, the first season they were stocking it. And uh, he was interviewing for interns. And so our tutor said to us, guys, lads, because it was, it was quite a, we were known as the butch year um, <laughs> on the men's work course. There's 16, 16 of us and, and there was a cohort of about 10, like, I don't know, eight, eight, eight to 10 really straight guys, Lol. which I think was like slightly um, out of character. Atypical. But, you know, it was, it was yeah, yeah, but it was, it was good fun. And so Christopher New, who um, was the men's work course leader, uh, said to us, Lucas Austin Driver from Longvin is coming over. Um, he's going to be at Dover Street. You guys, have made, I've made a schedule for you. Go along, go and check it out. Um, so we all took our, took our slots. I was going into Dover Street to meet Lucas, and a friend of mine came out, and he said to me, don't bother with that, mate. Don't, let's just go for a pint. Come on. I, d- I don't think it's for you. I was like, no, no, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to go, I'm going to go and talk to him. And um, so I did. showed him my book, um, and he invited me to come do an internship. Um, good job you didn't go for that pint. Good job I didn't go for the pint. Um, <laughs> and long story short, I did the internship. He invited me to stay. So I stayed for six, seven years in what was a very high fashion environment. So, so when I say high fashion, I mean it was like incredibly creative. Mm. It was like going from St. Martin's with no budget to do anything to basically the same thing, but masses of budget. You could do whatever you wanted. Absolute freedom. No rules. And it was, it was like a continuation of school, which is why I'm like, it's my education, because it really was. Being under those two great characters, Albert and Lucas. Huge fun. Huge fun. Got to do everything, not only the clothes, but the music. and, and, and I, I love hearing these stories, because yeah. it's just never something I've had the opportunity to experience in an environment like that, mm. having only worked in very sort of relatively small media startups. Mm-hmm. How kind of lovey was it? Was it all very flamboyant? And it was... Oh, you bet. <laughs> Oh. You bet. I mean, it was every so every season 
at the shows, as you'll probably know, there um, there'll be a few celebrities which go to the shows that season because they're either launching a film or, or a yeah, there's world a reason tour to be or something. There. There's a reason to be there and to be seen on the front row. And so, more often than not, these guys would come and do a preview of the show a couple of days before the show. And so there was all there would always be some fantastic character coming in, Demi Moore, Bruce <laughs> Willis, um, Usher. Uh, all of these great, great, Wicked. great characters. Really good fun. So it's quite lovely. And then you've also got the fashion set. Yeah. Who are all there. And Paris anyway is a, a lot more lovely than London. Mm. Um, which I love. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, love, I love the passion. I love the way that everybody lives. Absolutely lives and dies for fashion. They're obsessed with it. And it's, 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 it is a, it's, it's a it's world. An it's an addiction, isn't it's it? It's an addiction. It's amazing. You yeah. know, there's no buzz like that buzz before a show. You know, you're an hour to go. It's 9.30 on a Sunday morning. It's minus five. Yeah. You're in a schoolyard because you're showing in some gymnasium <laughs> in the, in, on January yeah, the 27th. freezing. Middle, yeah, it's bloody cold. But there's no buzz like it. Mm. Um, but to get back to your question. It's all right. <laughs> to, to, to cut, so I then came back to London to a completely different landscape. Yeah. Um, equally as developed and with its own character, but, but not quite as fashion, not quite as flamboyant and exaggerated. Did you say 2011 you came back? Yeah. So we, get, we are in sort of, or we're approaching what I would describe as the good years for Dunhill. The, the very sartorial, well, sort of modern sartorial, re-embracing kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. heritage years. Yeah. Because um, I remember going to sort of the Dunhill shows in 2014, 15, and mm-hmm. thinking there was one at the Savile Club I don't yeah, know that. Do you that remember was, that? That was that was the final season that I did there. Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that collection. I've that was, always that loved was it. Winter seventeen. Potentially. Was it? Oh, it was later than I thought. Sixteen or seventeen. Anyway, fabulous tailoring. Yeah. Great motor coats. Yeah, yeah, beautiful yeah. Beautiful velvets and smoking jackets and yeah. sort of like really, really ritzy. Yeah. Tailoring. It was fun. It was a really great. It was a great, great, great place to work. Fantastic place to work. So I, I didn't go straight there from Paris. I did a few other stints at other places. Um, I worked with Pringle. I, I worked with Paul Smith a little bit. Um, and then I went to, went to Dunhill. But the, 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 the story that I wanted to tell you when I was deeply digressing about Paris. Oh, go on. Um, so I came back. A very good friend of mine, Jeremy Hershen, um, was working there. He was uh, doing the tailoring formal wear. Um, and I got a call one day from the Richemont HR. Um, and she said, I, what are you doing at the moment? I'm like, a bit of consulting here and there. What have you got? She said, oh, there's a role that I think might be, might be good for you. I want you to come and meet someone. I was like, can you tell me what it is? And she said, not really. But, co- but come to the Richemont offices. We'll talk about it. I was like, okay, fine. I think an hour before... She sent me a message. Oh, we're not meeting at Rougemont. We're meeting at Dunhill. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I thought, oh dear, I hope I'm not going to interview for my mate's job. <laughs> and he doesn't know about it. I thought, God, that could be really awkward. So I quickly called him. I was like, listen, mate, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in for this interview. I don't know what it's for. Um, I don't even know who I'm meeting. I think I'm meeting this guy called John Ray. And he was like, oh, you're going to have a good time. You're going to have fun. 
Um, and so I, I went to the offices. I, mean, I think I was, I was still in my Paris mode, dressing like an absolute lunatic. <laughs> so I think I was wearing a, a pair of jobbers from this really beautiful French brand called, I can't remember what the name was, like Guibert or something like that. Mm. Just in the 16th, like really high-end equestrian stuff. Beautiful <laughs> suede patches on the inside. But anyway, dressed like a loony. Yeah. And I met, met this character, John Ray, um, who I was completely unprepped for. Um, and I don't know if you know the man. I do know no, John. You, you I've, got have a lot, met I've John. got a lot of love for John. You yeah. have met John. So yeah. John's now a very good friend of mine. Um, I'll tell you what I like about John yeah. is I obviously have only ever seen the lovely, creative, yeah. smoothie, press schmoozing John. Yeah. But you also know that underneath that is a creative director yeah. who I imagine would be really hard and knows exactly what he wants and wants to get it out of his team. So yeah. I imagine you've got those both sides of the man there. Yeah. He's... He, I mean, without being too complimentary, because that'll embarrass him, he's he's one of the most generous men that I know. He's incredibly gifted, but also incredibly tough, like you say. Yeah. He's, he's he, he manages to absolutely bollock you, but you feel like you deserve it. You know, you, <laughs> you feel like you, you thank him for it at the end of it, because he's taught you something. Yeah. So, so I met this guy, and, and, and we hit it off, and we... we Courted for, I think we had eight or nine meetings or something like that. Wow. Um, may have shared a gin and tonic or two. Um, and just just really gone on like a house on fire. So then I went in. He was creative director. Um, I went in as head of the design. And as you say, it was this, this moment where we were uh, creating some kind of nostalgic yeah. moment for... for, for tailoring and for tweed and for British style yeah. and trying not to do it in a pastiche caricatured way. That's what I liked about it is in that sort of, in those years when we were kind of coming out the back of real hashtag menswear. Yeah. But we'd been through sort of eight or nine years of everyone needing to be tailored to the hilt. Yeah. And have, you know, five different complimentary accessories on and tie pins and pocket mm-hmm. watches and we went we went through that bubble just as we were coming out the the back end of it i remember what was then called london collections men mm. you know there were five or six british luxury brands trying mm. to do their take on it mm-hmm. and a lot of them did feel far too uh, affected for mm-hmm. me even mm-hmm. back then when mm-hmm. i was in a very tailored phase yeah but the dunhill shows those two or three shows i went to were just so glamorous yeah. and it all felt effortless. And there yeah. was just, you know, like I remember there was a collection with the three by four uh, guardsman's blazer that Prince Charles has made famous and that I have a vintage one of and obsess yeah. over <laughs> with a pair of car keys and a rep stripe tie. But yeah. it wasn't, it was just enough. Yeah. It wasn't affected. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember the brand back then with such affection. Because the funny thing is, we looked at all of those images, all the images that you see all over Instagram now. Yeah. Um, every, you know, we all know them off by heart, and we loved them, and we had them all over the walls. Mm. But the, the, I guess the key to it all was making it not affected and, and, and making it believable and making it fashion yeah. without being ridiculous. And it was all, all of those ingredients came together to create that and it, and, it, and it wasn't just one person or several people it was everyone there everyone there was 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 into it and passionate about it because 
you know, if you've got a great leader, everybody wants to... Yeah, buy into it. Buy into it. And, you know, those shows we work with Katie Grant, mm-hmm. which might not be the obvious choice to do a classic men's show. You know, she's, she comes from a very fashion background, very women's wear background. Um, but what Katie did was to come in and give us the confidence to mess things up a little bit, to be a little bit more daring, to do something which is not necessarily in keeping with all the rules about sartorialism that we, we know and we're lectured about. And, you know, she comes in, she doesn't care. She's mm-hmm. like, I don't, I, don't, I don't care if that tie doesn't go with that shirt. I think it's cool like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it was like a, a, a wonderful cocktail of ingredients of different people and different talents, but different backgrounds, which created that incredibly luxurious, rich feeling. And it's, it's not just the clothes. It's the, one of the things I learned in Paris and, and one of the things that John brought, because he's also a great party planner um, and he loves to plan dinners <laughs> and, and things like that, is, is it's all the ingredients. It's the smell when you come into the room. It's the drink that's put into your hand. It's the, it's the amuse-bouche that you have and the canapes and, and, and the music and the environment and the seating. And, yeah. and that all comes first because that's the first thing you see and that sets the mood. It's, it's, that, it's that Ralph Lauren thing, isn't it? Yeah. Realise that you've got that two-hour slot at London Fashion Week to do whatever you want to realise that world. Yeah. So few brands pull it off. Yeah. Uh, it's not easy and it's expensive. Yeah. It, it's... it's there's there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all smoke and mirrors, mm. but that you know it's effective smoke and mirrors. I love it. Well, listen, I'm going to flip things now. Do it because we've talked a little bit about some of your background in high fashion and also in a in a kind of a heritage brand that mm. was that was the, having a very tailored moment. Mm-hmm. Your brand today, mm. which is in ascendancy, is uh, <laughs> let's hope so. <laughs> kind of you, Lej. Yeah. Uh, is sort of tailored but not it's very fresh it's very loose mm. i love the looseness of it that's what i'm really into yeah tell me a little bit about lej and this vision for the brand and where this has come from so it's oh it's a very um multi-rooted uh it, it has multi-rooted origins it's you know there are lots of influences that go into it as you'd expect um so i I guess it it is a it's a meeting of my histories. So it is, as you point out, it's the it's the luxury element, it's the high fashion element, which I think is um, re- represented through the fabrications and, like you say, there are very, uh, I th- uh, not very unexpected, but I think occasionally unexpected fabrications, you know, mm, like mm. very military shirts, but cut in really plush washed silks. Yeah, which are my favourites. So it's that kind of meeting of two different worlds, which, which I, I wanted to express. Well, you talk about the blending of utility and luxury. Yeah, which I love as an idea. Yeah. Um, well, the 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 thing that really inspired it. There's a single. If I had to dial it down to a single moment, the single moment would be um, being up with my parents and my old man was rooting around in the, in, the, in the garage and he brought out this dusty old dog-eared rolled up bit of paper and he was like, I want to show you something. I was like, okay, show me something. And he unrolled this thing and um, it was a hand-drawn plan, probably a... What size is that? A zero. It's a yeah. quite a large thing on a thick, thick papier calque tracing paper. Um, 
but really thick, really solid, feels like plastic. And he unrolled it, and it was this beautiful, um, what looked like a, you know, those big plot printers. Mm. It looked like a beautiful illustrator sketch plotted out by this printer, and it was, it was, it's, what the plan was of was a, was a, a section within a jet engine. It was some kind of gasket or something like that. He was a he was an engineer at Rolls Royce in the sixties. Oh, awesome! Working on on airplane engines, and this was one of the plans that he drew. And what really amazed me about it was that I said I didn't realise that you had these these plotters in those days. How did you? It's like no, no, no. It's all by hand. I was like, what do you mean it's all by hand? And he's like, look, these are my tools. And he showed me a compass and ruler, a pencil. And that was about it. I was like, but hang on, this is ink. He's like, no, 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 this is pencil. And it's like, the lines are so dark, they're so crisp, they're so precise. And not only that, but the text, all of the text on this thing, I'll show you a picture. Mm. Um, it looks like Helvetica. It looks perfectly printed Helvetica. I was like, but how did you do the text? You used a stencil or what? He's like, no, no, no it's all freehand. We Amazing. had to learn how to do it freehand. And it just blew my mind that you could have something which was so, so engineered, so made for a purpose, which was to make a piece of metal into a certain shape. Yeah. But then something that was so precise and so well made and well drawn. And, 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 and if you transfer that context, luxurious in the sense that it was beautiful, I just thought that those two worlds, the, the utility and the luxury, came together in that plan for me. And I thought, that's interesting, because it's how I approach design. I, I, very often I start with the inside of the garment. What's that gonna be like? What's the purpose? What's the function? How do I wanna use that pocket? What's the fabric gonna be? Do I need to reinforce it in a certain way? All of those things, what can, what's the width of the fabric I'm using? Can I be clever about the usage of it? And to me, that felt very engineered. Um, and so I, I, I saw this thing and I took it and I said, can I have it? He's like, yeah, you can have it. I don't want it. And I framed it. He's like, why do you want to frame that? I was like, it's beautiful. It's a work of art. But that, that is the single moment when I thought, right, I want to do something as beautiful and as worthy as that, something that's so precise and detailed and useful. Um, so hopefully what I do with the clothes, what I do with Ledge, L-E-J, um, I, I, hopefully it's worthy of like, saying, it's comparable in terms of its 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 attention to detail. Mm. And you are super focused on. I mean, what I love one of the things that I've enjoyed about the brand is watching it kind of evolve over the past couple of years. Is yeah. you've started with a very tight from a very tight place, which is yeah. a beautiful sort of quite utilitarian shirt, but as you mm -hmm. say, in unexpected fabrics. And I mm. love the wash silks. Mm. Uh, I'm a sucker for a silk shirt, as everyone knows. But um, I just think they're stunning. But mm. you know, you have these very interesting utility pockets. Mm -hmm. The, you have a long point collar that's mm -hmm. lovely and soft and rolls beautifully. Mm -hmm. You've got different buttons on the placket to the pocket. So I wondered if there's a story there. There's a wee story. Um, basically, like most people in this industry, I've got a big collection of old stuff, which fills the house and uh, yeah, causes storage problems. Yep. Um, <laughs> so, so, so a large part of that collection is vintage shirts, mainly military um, not only army, but 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 air force and, and naval shirts as well. And um, what I find very interesting is how these pieces are used, and that's what really fascinates me about clothes: how they age and they develop and they grow. 
and um, what I noticed about I think it was a I think it was a Royal Navy shirt that I had. It was a it was quite a formal shirt, so, so for some kind of dress uniform. Don't remember now, but as far as I understand it, different factories would be awarded the contracts to make these things, and it would say blue fabric, X number of buttons, and it kind of didn't matter how they interpreted it so much. Yeah. And you see it in a lot of, it's, it's more obvious, I guess, in khaki stuff because there are different, different shades of it. But it's, but it's also the same for the buttons, I yeah, think. Whatever I might be you wrong. have in the factory yeah, at the time. There might be some historian who knows much more about it than me, but I've got an amazing shirt which has these white buttons down the front, and then it's got a black button on the pocket. And it's never been used. It's dead stock, so it's clearly made like that. And I thought that's that's such a lovely story about um, about the necessity of things, the necessity of function. It doesn't matter what color the button is. Yeah, it just needs a button. It just needs a button to keep your notepad in or whatever it is, and keep the front closed. And I just thought, as a as a as a branding exercise and a little story to tell aside all the other stories, it's a nice one to throw in there. Fab. Yeah, really, really great. And then a few more questions about the brand, and then mm. I've got some broader questions for you. Um, I want to ask what the initials stand for. That, so back to this blueprint, this this thing, um, this thing, this um, uh, plan. Yeah. Um, it, it was signed L-E-W, which are my father's initials. Um, and I don't know if my parents made a mistake when they named the children. So I have three sisters. Um, so my father's initial is L, my mother's initial is R, and two of my sister's initials are also R, and my first initial is L. Right. So and my mother would always plot everything in the family calendar, but she, <laughs> she, she couldn't just write R because there were three R's, or L because there were three L's, two L's. Um, so it was always all of our given name initials. Right. So it's kind of a... It's another it's personal kind of a, little... It's a throwback to that... Um, I have a couple of friends who use it as a nickname, and um, it's also a nod back to the plan, a bit of an homage to my father's drawing. Lovely, awesome. Mm. And how has the kind of what's the sort of how do you want guys to wear these clothes? I always think that's a really interesting. You know, who's who's yeah. the LJ customer, and how does he wear rock his shirts and his kind of wide leg chinos? And oh, it's such an interesting question. It's one that. Every brand that I've been inside of, they have that question. There's, there's somebody in the company, somebody in some department that wants to know who's the target customer, who is it? And I can't decide if that's an important question or not. Of course it's important because you need to know who you're buying to, uh, who you're buying to, who you're selling to, excuse me. Mm. Um, but I would like to think some of what I'm offering is broad enough that it doesn't have to be narrowed to a single age group, to a single gender, to a single demographic, yeah, demographic exactly. of people. That is probably an arrogant thought because a silk shirt is very fashion and quite niche. Um, but I would like every man and woman I know to have something from me and be able to wear it. Mm. Um, and, and I should say, mm. I'm obsessed, I've obsessed over the silk shirts as we've chatted, <laughs> but there's denim, there's poplin, there's sort of, you know, gabardines and things. Yeah, there's a lot of geeky Japanese narrow width stuff, which I'm a little bit too obsessed with and, <laughs> and financially doesn't it's make a lot of sense. Not terribly efficient. Not efficient, but I love it because it's, it's, it's 
look, your question was, um, how do I want guys yeah. to wear it? Yeah. I just want the stuff to be knackered. Love it. Because I, I, love, I love vintage clothes. And a lot of people do. Because the more knackered they are, the better they are. The more, the, the, the more easily they f- slip into the wardrobe. Yeah. They slip into the routine. And the, the more stories they have to tell. Exactly. Exactly. And I think clothes just look better. You know, I'd have them all falling apart if I could, <laughs> but um, but I can't. And and one of the things I do with the labelling is is there's a bit of military influence and there's a bit of Lanvin influence. So so the, the the labels are stamped with a very utilitarian military style rubber stamp, black ink, boom. But it's stamped on a silk Grogrand ribbon, mm. and there are obvious influences behind that. But one of the things that I really like about that is and it's maybe a false modesty thing, but I want, I think that the shirts are at their best point when that label starts to disintegrate. When it's done, and I've got a chambray shirt, one of the first samples I made, which I've had for maybe two and a half years, and that label's just started to Brilliant. give out. It's, the, the, the print went a year ago, and now the, the threads are giving way and it's coming away. And I think that's the point at which I love the shirt the most because it's not about the brand. It's about the person's relationship with that piece of clothing and how they wear it and interpret it and, and what it means to them. And clearly, if they've used it and worn it and washed it to that point, it's something good. That's my own shirt. So, you know, I'm being very self-centered here. No, but, love it. but I want that for everyone. Yeah. Fab. Well, I, here's, an, here's another one for you then. I've spoken to a few guests this season mm. about how increasingly menswear is becoming a bit looser, a bit slouchier, and a bit looser. Mm. And one of the things I love about LEJ is just how loose it is. Mm. Um, I've kindly had a sneaky peek of the spring-summer lookbook, and mm. I love it. Thank you. Uh, and I really dig the styling and the model and all the rest of it. Thank you. Um, but it's really interesting me at the moment as well because it, it the kind of that sort of buttoned up approach to style has never really felt less relevant mm. after a summer spent mm-hmm. in pajama bottoms. Yeah. Um, what, talk to me about your take on where kind of menswear is going. Is that something you're you're picking up on, or you want to see more of, or? Um, where's menswear going? Where's menswear going? You're, I mean, you, you've hit the nail on the head, really, that the suit is probably dead. The tie could be dying. But then does that not bring greater significance to every formal element we have in our wardrobes? Will it just make the suit and the tie even more special and even more beautiful? Because mm. all of the generic, all of the banal suits that exist in the world that people feel they have to wear because of a certain false formality within offices they don't have to wear them anymore so if someone wants a suit now are they going to go and have the most beautiful suit they can possibly, they can possibly have that's probably that is an my, opinion you've heard that is before. my fervent hope I've just written a story that says exactly that yeah. that's my hope for what happens to quote formal wear now mm-hmm. um, super interesting and then in terms of the rest of our wardrobes that we're wearing 90, 95% of the time now, yeah. it's, it's just getting looser and a bit easier and I, like washed down and worn yeah. in. And well, one of the interesting um, observations that I've made this season is talking to the fabric mills and the shirt mills in particular. 
and they're saying that in terms of white poplins, blue poplins, their sails are just nose diving because nobody, 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 nobody wants those formal shirts. However, when it comes to denims and chambres and checks and flannels and things like that, not that they're doing hundreds of thousands of meters, but they're certainly selling more of it than they did before. So the whole landscape is, is, is changing and there is this element of um, comfort. And um, the way in which I try to cut my clothes is less for how they look and more about the ergonomics of them. So I take a lot of influence from military pieces, which and, and not the dress pieces, the actual yeah. functional pieces. And what I love are the old, the old um, shirt blocks where the shoulders and the sleeves are just completely square. So it's a T. So there's no shaping to it. So you can actually move in it, and you can raise your arms and and move. Around. And that to me is is comfort. That's a very narrow point of view because everybody else is in a t-shirt and a sweatpant. But but to me, you can express it in the way in which you cut clothes, and that's what I try and do. And that, I think, is also how you get interesting silhouettes. Like you mentioned some of the, some of the silhouettes that I show. Um, and they're not necessarily clean, and I don't want the clothes to look clean. I want them to be comfortable. And then eventually when they wear in, because you, you put a vintage shirt on, right? And it just it feels great. It's washed, it's worn, it's, it's lovely, but it's got loads of pleating on the sleeves. And it's, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it, it, it fits in a very different way to a modern shirt does. But that's just because it was cut to be comfortable, not to be looked at. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of the irony, I think, of my approach to pattern cutting and, 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 and comfort. And the fact that, yes, I'm working in an industry where the visuals are so important and they are important and I, and I obsess about them, but they are kind of, oh, I don't know how to explain it. They're kind of secondary to the way in which the clothes are cut and they kind of come from the, from the, from the form. Fabulous. All right. And my next question for you then mm. is what's coming next for this creation of yours? What's coming next for LEJ? Oh, that's always the big, the big question, isn't it? And it's one that I always avoid. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, like the, you didn't send me. You didn't. You didn't prepare me for the interview, as you pointed out. You didn't <laughs> yeah, send no, me the I questions. Didn't. I didn't. I've been naughty this week. And well, if I was that worried, I would have chased you on it. But but I think, in a roundabout way, what I want to say is I I I oh, I don't so much plan ahead. Fine. I. Um, tend to do things very ad hoc um maybe that's very unprofessional of me no 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 but but actually it links into another question of mine yeah which i just wanted to ask how do you do everything you do because you're building your own (laughs) brand you're also designing for other brands yeah and you've got a number of projects on at the moment i Uh think yeah you know how do you fit it all in how do i fit it all in um uh it's something that i love it's 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 it consumes every thought, almost every thought that I have in the day, much to much to the pain of people around me, um, um, those who I love and 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 probably uh, abuse a little bit with my tantrums. But um, but yeah, it's just long days, long weeks. Um, but it's but it's it's when something's born of passion, you you give it the time, you give it every hour that you've got to think about it and you, you make it happen. And, mm. you know, there are breakdowns here and there, little tantrums, <laughs> little, little, little moments, maybe a few tears when things go wrong and 
things go wrong, especially at the moment. Um, Has it been a challenging year in terms of getting, keeping production moving? And it's, um, it has a little bit. Mm. It has a little bit. Um, luckily, I mean, with with my own project, I have deliberately tried to keep it reasonably sized because it is ultimately it's 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 designed for me right which is you know i want other people to love it too and i hope that they find something in there to love but ultimately it's designed for me so i so i so i keep it small enough that i can manage it so we've not been too affected by the whole um yeah, the disruptions. Yeah, there have been a few delays of a few weeks here and there, and a, and a few mistakes made because of rushed, rushed things. But no, touch wood, it's 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 been okay thus far. Good. Well, wherever it goes next, yeah. wherever Lee Joe goes next, I'm very excited to see. Yeah. I hope 2021 is a is a cracking year for you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I've got one more question just to wrap up on, which mm. is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just yet, yeah, love it. Yeah. Held it back to the end. What talk to me a little bit as we sort of finalise our position for this interview? Mm. What are some of the brands that you're into at the moment, and what are those brands in our space that you think are, are doing the right things and doing well? See, this is when I wish I prepped. <laughs> this is always a tricky, tricky, tricky question. It's always a tricky question because there is because this industry is such. A great industry to be in because we can all express ourselves and we're given that opportunity but it's tough it's really really hard so i without wanting to sound really soppy have a lot of respect for anybody in this industry mm. anybody in this industry especially those who are doing their own things or, or struggling with small companies or small shops um and i'm not trying to give you a politician's response <laughs> at all but but you know just I, to start things off I think it's lovely. I think that's that's a that's a very nice position to have. It's an empathetic position. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But then, of course, there are brands which I am drawn to more than other brands. Mm. Um, obviously, needless to say, and without being um, nepotistic, is that a word? Yes. Drake's is doing a great, fine, fantastic job. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you know, some of some of the. I've, and I hate to be really obvious. Some of the Parisian brands are doing a really great, yeah. great job as well. Yeah. Um, and and I'm and I'm really into what they're doing. Um, like I do, I do think Wells Bonner has just released a cracking collection. Really, really like that collection. I've admired Craig Green for a long, long time. I think he's a really, really smart designer. Mm. Um, and I'm and I'm sure there are big things ahead for him. Um, gosh. Well, there's a few cool, there's a few good names in there, aren't there? They're not the sort of names that normally come up on the podcast either. Right. You know, Craig Green is uh, arguably far more progressive than most of the space that we tend to inhabit. Um, but he is super cool, and like like you, I have a lot of respect for what he's doing. Yeah, and I, one of the smart things about Craig, I think, is um, and I, 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 I don't know the guy, so I um, so I hope I'm. Uh, complimenting him in the right way. Um, I think what he does is incredibly progressive, as you say. Um, it's very complex. It's very uh, modular, the design. But I think he manages to commercialise that very well. 
like like few conceptual designers do manage to do. And I've got a few of his pieces, and I'm not I'm not the I'm not love Japanese design, but do I wear a lot of it? No, because it's a bit too difficult for me. I can't I can't I can admire it, and I might own a few pieces, but I don't really wear them. Whereas Craig Green, which ostensibly you know, it's one of those things that our parents look at it in the paper and they're like, "What is this? This isn't clothing." You know, but they don't understand that that's the statement, that's the thing to draw the eye in. But then he manages to commercialize it. So I think he's he's a very intelligent designer. Um, so I yeah, I th I think I think he's doing a great job. Cool. I think he's doing a great job. Well, that's a great name for our listeners to go away and <laughs> go away and check out. Okay. Luke, thank you so much. No, thank you. Um, really enjoyable conversation. Lovely to have a bit of time with you because mm. I know you are juggling a million and one things. <laughs> I appreciate your flexibility. <laughs> Um, Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Have a fab end to the year and uh, rock on LEJ in 2021. Thank you, mate. Well, that's another one done and dusted, folks. Fingers crossed you found that as enjoyable to listen to as we did. My thanks again to Luke for taking some time out to chat. Just a reminder that we'd really appreciate it if you could leave the podcast a positive review if you can. It really helps our visibility and helps other fashionistas to find us. Tremendous thanks also to my collaborators at Birch. As I'm sure you know by now, Birch is a brilliant London-based creative agency. Check out the studio's work at birchlondon.com. Major thanks also to our sound editor and theme music composer, Joe Boyd. Give him a follow on social at This Is Joe Boyd. Finally, thank you again, you lovely lot, for listening, and I wish you a marvellous week to come. <laughs>